Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. The passage that Mark read this morning is... is um, my text is in it. We're not going to... Um, I'm not going to preach out of the whole text that he read this morning. We're just going to look at verse 12. Verse 12, I titled the message this morning, Standing Out in a Crowd. Standing out in a crowd. Consider we all like to be noticed, right? Now, some might say, I don't really like to be noticed, but we like to be noticed in our not being noticed, all right? I, I was considering it. In some way, we all like a little bit of attention. It does, us, it does our flesh a little good. It feels good to be seen. We all like to stand out, maybe for our looks, maybe for our accomplishments, maybe for our abilities, uh, even for our friends. I was, I was just considering, what is it that the world values today? These are things that we like to get attention uh, concerning. Um, maybe it's what I have, right? Um, I've talked about in the past and, and made a joke of, I would look pretty good in a brand new Ford 350 King Ranch pickup, right? Uh, if, uh, if there's any vehicle uh, that I could just go right out and buy today, it would probably be that. I don't necessarily need a sports car, although that would be fun. I would like the 350 pickup. Now, that, why? <laughs> why? Because I want to stand out, right? Because it would look pretty good to drive around in a brand new pickup. Now, I'm not saying anything against brand new pickups. Brand new vehicles are great, and uh, a, a dependable vehicle is a necessity. But we all like to stand out, right? And, and I was considering, what is it that should make us stand out in a crowd? Paul is talking to Timothy here in verse 12, and he tells him some things that it's right to stand out in a crowd. Uh, it is to be an example, he says in this passage. As a young man here, are ways to be noticed. <laughs> Not for Timothy, but for the honor and glory of God. And I, So I want to speak this morning on standing out in a crowd. Verse 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I, I want to look at those things this morning. So I have six points, uh, not alliterated and not subpoints. Okay, so I'm not going to win any awards this morning for my outline. All right, this would not pass a college course. But I want to look at each one of those things. As he tells Paul, the young man here, don't let people despise thy youth. Not because of his age, but because he's going to be an example. And so young people, listen to me this morning. You can be an example to all those around you. You can stand out in a crowd for all the right reasons. All right? Don't do it to get attention, but to glorify God. And it is possible and it is right for every one of us to be an example. Timothy was a young preacher, and this book was written to a young preacher, but it applies to every one of us today. I want to look at all six of these things that Paul tells Timothy to be an example in. Let's have a word of prayer first. Father, thank you. Thank you for the rock that we can stand upon this morning, for, for the foundation uh, that is Jesus Christ. Lord, that our faith, that our, that our hope depends on you, not on ourselves. And Father, we, we uh, treasure that. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your love. Thank you for each one that's here this morning. Lord, help us as we look into your word uh, to apply it to our lives, that each and every one of us, in every avenue of life, would be an example of the believers. 
that those around us would look and, and know that we've been with you. Lord, that our lives would be a shining example of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the time this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, as I said, we're going to look at everything. First of all, he says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word. <laughs> in word. Well, that's pretty simple to, to say what that's talking about, right? It's not too deep. It's what you say. All right? So the words that come out of your mouth. What have you said this week? I want to look at a couple things. The first thing we think about when we think about words is... is uh, is being uh, crude or having, having uh, corrupt communication. Go with Ephesians chapter 4. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. There's so much more to it than just that. Um, but verse 24, or 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Important little word in that verse is no. It's not a little bit. It's none. As a Christian, to be an example of a believer, or to be an example of Christ to this world, they have to know that I'm not going to be, there's no corrupt communication. Everything that I say should be to the use of edifying, to lifting up. So that goes far beyond cursing, although... If you're cursing this week, you need to confess that. Turn that over to the Lord. It's not right. <laughs> it's, it's corrupt communication. But if it's, if it's not edifying, then... Look at this verse that says, But to the use of edifying, if what I say is not lifting others up, but tearing them down, if what I'm saying is not for the, their good and for the glory of God, then it is corrupt. So everything I ne say needs to be measured... Be careful in it. Now, to be an example in word, there's no corrupt communication coming out of my mouth. Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verse uh, 36. How about idle words? We're pretty, you know... Pretty quick to preach on swearing, right? Christians should not be swearing, and it's absolutely true. But what about idle words? What about that stuff that's empty and vain? We don't think much about it. He says here, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every empty thing that I've said in my life, I'm going to give an account for. Consider this week, the words that have come out of our mouth. How much of it was vain and empty? Or silly? Frivolous? The example of the believer. Not that he's sober and, and, and uh, sober meaning that he's grumpy. <laughs> sober meaning that he's, that he's just somber all the time. The Christian is not to be a somber individual. They're to have a right focus. Sober in the Bible means that my focus is on Jesus Christ, not on the things of this earth. So when I speak, my words are lifting someone up. They have a purpose. That purpose is to glorify God. It is to edify one another. I, I 
think I can safely say, and I'm not judging anyone because I'm pointing at myself this morning, that this past week, we could not, any of us, say that everything I said this week was not vain. Every word I said this week was for the use of edifying. That was to glorify God. I don't say that to beat people down, but we just need to be focused on it and consider. As an example of a believer, what am I guarding my mouth? Or how am I guarding my mouth? Am I careful about everything I say? Pretty quick to shoot off our mouth about something, to say something uh, really without thinking about it. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. How about taking God's name in vain? Exodus 20 verse 7 says, God will not hold them faultless. In other words, He takes it very, very seriously that we do not take His name in vain. I appreciate my parents. They were dogmatic on not taking the Lord's name in vain. There was no way we were going to say any of it, ever. My dad would have (laughs) washed my mouth out with soap every time I said the word God, not referring to God. Had I said OMG, the the three letters, he would have washed my mouth out with soap. That was taking the Lord's name in vain. When we speak of him, we are to speak in reverence. We're talking about Almighty God. So every time I use his name, it needs to be in worship and in reverence and fear. He's not an exclamation. It grieves me when I'm out in the world and I hear them swear and use the Lord's name as as well. And I know it grieves the Lord. He says He does not hold them guiltless. Takes it very, very seriously. Every time I say His His name, it has to be that I'm looking to glorify Him. Example in word is I do not ever take the Lord's name in vain. No exceptions. We don't take His name in vain. Psalms chapter 19, verse 14. We see the negative about it. Idle words are judged. Taking the Lord's name in vain is judged. But there is so much power in the things that we say. Verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. That needs to be my focus. So then I can say, in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Let the meditation of my mouth, in the heart, the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, because the word fitly spoken, the word that is properly spoken, The word that is for edifying and lifting up and glorifying God is like pictures of gold. Apples of gold and pictures of silver. It's beautiful then. The Bible says that the the positive word has a strengthening factor. It It gives strength. It gives might. We all know it's true. Um... Brother... Pastor Hare's funeral was Monday. And one of the men stood up I don't remember which one. Um, I think it's... He wasn't the pastor there, and he wasn't his son. It was another man that stood up and spoke. But he talked about that John Hare was an encourager. He said if you were around him, he encouraged you. 
That's what this is talking about. Not only does it glorify God, but it, but it gives strength to the other ones that are around. When, it, when a person's an encourager, you want to be around them. They give you strength. It's not to build up the flesh. It's not flattery. Flattery, the Bible says, is lies. But if you're really encouraging, it gives strength. The multitude of counselors is strength, the Bible says. Those are encouragement. Those are not someone beating someone down. So the example of a believer is there's no corrupt communication. <laughs> they should know. They should know that you will never swear. It doesn't take long in the world for people to figure out that individual doesn't swear. They, they notice it quickly. No corrupt communication. Everything that I say is for the edifying of the believer. I do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Not once. Not once. And we can determine that. Don't let the world deceive you. And then I'm going to be an encourager. I'm looking to edify, to lift up. Because I love the brethren. I love those that are lost. Have the mind of Christ. My example is in word that I'm perfect. <laughs> the Bible says the tongue is a fire. It can destroy and, and tear down. But the Bible says also that a word fitly spoken is, is an encouragement and a strength. You have power with your mouth. Or to be an example in word. He also says then, in conversation. In conversation, in lifestyle or behavior. I wrote this down. My dad said this a lot when I was a kid. Your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You're, you, so you're an example of word in word, but you're not in behavior. You're a hypocrite then. And the world sees it. Everyone else sees it, whether you think so or not. They know who you are. Your conversation and your behavior, how you live your life. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks of this. Verse 22 <clears throat> through 32, I'm going to read a little bit of scripture here. <clears throat> Verse 22 says that she put off concerning the former conversation, the former lifestyle. All right, you know who you were before you were saved. You know what your priorities were, how you lived your life, that lifestyle before. The Bible says, put that off. That's the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither, neither give place to the devil. That's an interesting little verse thrown right in the middle of that. Christian, give no place to the devil. In my lifestyle, then, there's no place for sin at all. I'm to give him nothing. <laughs> that old man is dead. I've buried him. Jesus Christ gave me new life. I'm to have crucified that old man. I'm to give no place to the devil. My life is to be focused on serving God. Find my place here. <coughs> There we go. Let him that steals, steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. You go, 
you can go on, and we read it before, let, not, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Christian, there's, we looked at this in Sunday school class this morning. You know how many Christians are consumed with bitterness? What a plague it is across our nation. That's why our churches fall apart. Because of bitterness. A root of bitterness springing up. There's no place for it. I don't have the... I, I should not have place in my heart for anger and bitterness. Let not sun go down upon your wrath. So when someone angers you, before you go to bed, before you are done with that day, give it to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. We're so good at saying, I forgive you, and then picking it back up the next day. Or when they do it to me again, so I knew it. Mm. That guy's such an idiot. Isn't that how we think? I knew it. I knew it. I don't trust that guy. Now, I don't mean we have to trust everyone. If they're not trustworthy, they're, they're not trustworthy. But you give it to God. There's to be no bitterness in our hearts. That's my lifestyle. My lifestyle is that all the things of this life I've given up. That old man is dead. You offended me. I gave it to the Lord. I'm going to live my life serving Him. And then it says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Put away the bitterness, the wrath, the evil speaking. Put it all away with malice. <laughs> that can be interpreted two things. Put away the malice, and with malice, put away the bitterness. Like with force, with purpose. Get it out of your life. And be kind one to another. It's great. I stood up here this morning and everybody's in the aisle talking. We can't hardly get you to sit back down and sing. Because we love one another. And that's the way it should be. Kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. So if one individual on this side offends an individual on that side, it doesn't cause a schism in this church because my mind is the mind of Christ and I forgive you. I let no bitterness in my heart. That's the example of a right lifestyle. A conversation that's walking pure before God. When someone comes in, they can see that. That's the example we are to have. Kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as, Christ for, or even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be an example of your lifestyle, your conversation. Back in 1 Timothy, he says also... We're to be an example in word, in conversation, in charity. In charity. Now that goes along with what I just said. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says, Love lifts one another up. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. <laughs> knowledge gives the big head. But charity edifieth. Love edifieth. 
in James, it said we are to have uh, meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom, because knowledge puffeth up. Meekness is strength under control. It's, it's having understanding. It's having strength in God. But it's being kind in all things. Loving one another. Charity edifieth. Why does the Bible keep talking about edifying one another? Because we're very quick to get selfish. We're very quick to get focused on ourselves. It bothers me when I hear someone say that church didn't do anything for me. It's not why you're here. That's not why you're here. If you came in with a selfish motivation, now you want to hear from God, don't get me wrong. I hope we came with the heart that we're going to grow in God. But not for you, for His glory. And the second, and almost as important, is that I come to be a blessing to everyone else. I came here this morning because I love you and I want to edify you. Charity lifts up. If you can come into church and say, well, it did nothing for me, you came in with the wrong motive. Go to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. If you're going to talk about love, I can't hardly get away from chapter 13. The love chapter of the Bible. But it talks about all of these abilities. I can do all of this stuff, but if I don't have love, it doesn't matter. It's empty. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Consider that verse right there. If you have the faith to move a mountain, the Bible says we can, without love, without the love of God, you're nothing. You're nothing. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. I love that verse 12 was put into this chapter. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. What does a child think about? Me. My needs. Okay, Josh is eight months old. Nine. Nine months old. Who cares? Somewhere in there. <laughs> what is Josh's focus? Now he's starting to interact with people and starting to play and, and some, some, some genuine compassion for his mother and his siblings. Someday for me, we hope. Uh, but his focus is primarily me. 
And that's what this verse says. When I'm a child, I think as a child, I speak as a child, because it's all about me. That's childishness. Selfishness is childishness. But he said, when I became a man, I put that away. Charity never faileth. Charity is not puffed up. Thinketh, uh, doesn't think highly of itself. There's a whole list of things that charity is. It's not childishness. Maturity is charity. And I love that context where it puts it in there. If I'm, if I'm actually mature, I'm going to care about others. And it says I can put that childishness away. There's a decision in that verse. It isn't that I turned 18 and now I'm a man. It is that at some point in my life I said, Lord, with your strength, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to stand up and walk like a man. I'm not going to be a child anymore. My focus is going to be you and I'm going to love others. By the strength of God, I'm no longer a child. Put that away. Charity. Are you an example of the, of the believer in charity? Is it known of you that you love other people? So we have in word, in conversation, in charity, and then in spirit. In spirit. Or is it known of you that you're led by God? That your spirit is His? Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Verse 16 says, Now the works of... Uh, that's 19. Verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Go with me to verse 22. But the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. It's the same thing in, verse, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. It's being mature. It's walking with God. It's no longer focused on me. My faith is in Him. We're going to look at faith in a second. But walking in the Spirit is walking by faith. It's Peter on top of the water. When he was walking on the water, he's walking with his eyes on God. He's walking in faith. Getting out of the spirits, looking down and seeing the surroundings. Boy, that wave looks pretty big and starts sinking. He said, walking in the Spirit. Are we an example of, this, of in Spirit? Is it known of you that you walk with God? Timothy was an example, a godly young man. I would love to meet Timothy. I will someday. But I would love to have sat under his preaching and, and known Timothy. You don't see negative things about Timothy. There was a godly young man that stood for right. It was known that he walked with God. Example in spirit, being led by God. Look at all the fruits. The fruit of the Spirit. You know, we're t the, the world tells us not to judge. Judge not. And take that verse out of, out of context. But the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is evident. The fruit of the, of the Spirit will show the man that walks in the Spirit, that's an example in Spirit, is going to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Is it known of you that you are meek, that you are temperate? 
temperate. That's a struggle for me. I'll be honest with you. I've told you before. Growing up all my life, I've dealt with a temper. My dad has the same thing. We've talked about it a lot, especially as we've gotten older, that it is a struggle that we consciously have to fight. This losing our temper, not being temperate, not having control over it. As a young man, I broke these two knuckles and took the skin off with all of these fingers, punching a wall twice because I lost my temper. I was not walking in the Spirit. <laughs> I was mad at my parents. They weren't allowing me to do something. How childish. But I lost my temper. There's temperance. The walking in the Spirit, you, you're going to see temperance in His life. You're going to see meekness, love and joy. That's letting go of that bitterness. Anyone with bitterness does not have joy. And they're hard to be around. A bitter individual that doesn't have joy in their life is, is a drain to be around. Are you example in spirit? Are the fruits of the Spirit evident in your life? So we see in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, and in faith. In faith. Go with me to Joshua chapter 14. This is, a, this is a, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I have a lot of favorite stories in the Bible. Kyle's in here right now. I'm going to talk about him. I don't know if he still does it. I haven't heard it so much. But when he was like three and four, every time we sat down at the table, oh, this is my favorite. This is my favorite. He doesn't even say it that way anymore, do you? He's grown out of that. Everything was his favorite. That's me in Bible stories. This is my favorite. <laughs> this is my favorite. But I love Caleb. And look at verse 6 through verse 14. We know that he's an older man. And, uh, and he has faith. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinzonite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. We know that Joshua and Caleb were the two godly spies. They came out and said, let's go. God's given us a land that is flowing with milk and honey. They were excited about what God was going to do and ready to go. Now they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, so Caleb's 80 years old. Verse 8, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy foot hath trodden shall be thine inheritance and thine children forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord thy God. They had faith, because you wholly follow him. That's faith. Every bit of my life I've given to the Lord. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. I'm eighty-five years old. How many people in here above eighty-five? Three. Three people. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so even is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out. As the Lord said, 
And, and Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. And Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenzanite unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Eighty-five years old. That's why I love this, this story. Can you see this man? He says, I'm as strong today as I was 45 years ago. God has preserved my strength. Can I tell you today that maybe your body is broken down, but spiritually, if you're walking with Him, you are stronger than you were 45 years ago. You can tear down strongholds. He said, give me the mountain where the giants live. That's where I'm going. Imagine the faith. He wholly followed the Lord. That's an example of faith. He didn't back down an inch. I love it. And tell, tell us today that we're not supposed to be men. The men in the Bible were men. They stood up and they did what was right and they followed God. And that's what it's like to be a man. To be an example in faith. Let me have it. I saw a thing on the story, a uh, thing on Google News this week or last week, I don't remember. They found a, a skull that is abnormally large. They can't figure this thing out. It's like this big. And I laugh at these fools. It just proves the Bible again. Maybe they found Goliath's skull. I don't know. But those giants had enormous heads. <laughs> they were, Goliath was nine foot tall and some 400 pounds. And, and this 85-year-old man says, that's where I'm going. They're nothing compared to God. I'm going to take that mountain. It's mine. He said it was. That's faith. Are we an example of faith and victory in our lives? We don't back down because Almighty God is with us. Caleb didn't say, because I can fight well. He said, because the Lord goes with me. I'm taking that mountain. John chapter 11, verse 25 says, Faith gives life. Jesus saith unto her, or said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. There's faith, there's life in nothing else but faith in Jesus Christ. He that believeth in me, he that has faith in me, that knows that I am God, gives his heart and soul to me, is, is surrendered to my leading in his life. That person has life. That person is made alive. It's faith. Faith gives a victory. Caleb took that mountain. God gave him that mountain because he walked with him. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're, you've wandered through life blind. You don't know that you have a purpose at all. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's life and faith in Jesus Christ. There's purpose this morning in Jesus Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Faith gives life. Faith gives victory. So we are to be an example. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and lastly, in purity. In purity. I just wrote beside that, morally clean. Morally clean. There's a lot to purity, but I want to focus on morals this morning. And to do that, I want to go to Job chapter 31. Job makes a statement here, and then he, then he talks about impurity. 
We're going to read 1 through verse 12 of Job chapter 31. Job is defending himself, but he's also making some statements here that are true about sin. So he says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why should I, or why should, why then should I look upon a maid? Men, immorality is all around us. You cannot go anywhere that you don't see it. So there has to be a commitment made. I have made a covenant with my eyes. I made a commitment to the Lord. Why then should I look upon a maid? My focus is on Him. Immorality, impurity comes from selfishness, comes from the lust of the flesh. We have to guard our hearts so carefully every day of our life. He said, I'm not going to look upon a maid. I made a covenant with my eyes. For what portion of God is there from above, and what inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is not destruction to the wickedness, and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Doth not He see my ways and count all my steps? He sees your ways, He counts your steps. He knows everything, every thought, every action. If I have walked with vanity, or if my foot hath hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance, that God may know mine integrity. If my steps have turned out of the way, and mine heart walked after mine eyes, and if any blot hath cleaved to my hands, then let me sow and let another eat. Let my offspring be rooted out. If mine heart hath, deceived, hath been deceived by a woman, or if I have laid wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind unto another, and let others bow down upon her. For this is a heinous crime. Yea, it is an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For it is a fire that consumeth to destruction and would root out all of mine increase. He says, listen, if I have immorality in my life, this is what's going to happen. This is the just punishment. Read that. That's, that's severe. He loses his wife. She goes unto others. Pretty blunt verse. And then verse 11 says, For this is a heinous crime. Immorality is a heinous crime. God views it that way. Young people, it's heinous. Anything outside of marriage is immoral. It's wrong. It's heinous. God hates it. He hates it. He says there, it is iniquity to be punished by the judges. For it is a crime that consumeth to destruction. Immorality destroys you. It is a crime that consumes you to destruction. Another part of the Bible says that fornication damages your soul. Damages your soul. God can forgive you, but the damage is done. If we allow it in our heart, those things that we look upon are always there. Always there. Consider that. We'll never lose those images. Those thoughts, they're always there. 
So morality, we have to be an example. Young people, you can be an example, a shining example to a world that has completely lost their morals. And they will mock you for it, they will laugh at you for it, they're going to judge you for it. But God will bless you. He will be pleased in your life, and you will be an example. They can't despise your youth. Why? Because you're standing up and serving God in purity. I'm thankful for my parents again. They taught me and they pounded into my head and pounded into my head that sex is for marriage. And only for marriage. Only for marriage. And that marriage is for life. And there's no exception. And it's between a man and a woman. And there's no exception. The Bible doesn't deviate on that. And it's not hard. Throw off this idea from the world that we can't do it. Such foolishness. Young people, you can enter marriage pure. You should enter marriage pure. Guard our hearts. Young people, be an example of purity to the world around you. Christians, all of us. Example of purity to the world around you. And what a great testimony it is when our marriages last 40 and 50 years, 60 years. And you stayed with her for 50 years, the same one? Or he, you stayed with him for 50 years? How did you do that? Well, because I committed my heart to them. And I said before God and witnesses that until death do us part, I'm going to be with that individual. And God can honor that. And it can be a shining example to all around you. I want to be careful to always say this when I'm speaking of these things. When, when we look at our life, there might be things in the past that we're ashamed of. But Paul said, those things in the past, I'm forgetting. I'm leaving them back there. I'm going to draw a line right here, and I'm going to press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. So from today, maybe my life in the past wasn't an example of word and conversation and faith and charity. Impurity. Maybe it wasn't. But from today on, it's going to be. By the power of God, I'm going to be an example of the believer. I'm going to be an example. And no man's going to despise my youth. Why? Not because I can take care of myself, but because I serve God. We can stand out in a crowd. I want to stand out for Him. Be an example of a believer to those around you. And it says that when we are, then others will be converted. I can win people to the Lord. I can be used of Him as an example of a believer. Let no man despise you, whether you are a youth or not. Be an example of a believer. Let's pray. Father, thank You for loving us this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You that... Your mercies are new every morning, and Father, no matter what our life has been to this point, You can take us and use us in a mighty way. You can give us the victory through faith. You can give us purity through faith. You can give us a lifestyle that is an example to the world around us. Father, You can use us. You desire to use us. Lord, if there's if there's things in our life this morning that we've been holding on to, if there's, if there's bitterness in any heart this morning, I ask that you convict us of that. That we would leave that here on the altar and, and never pick it up again. 
that our hearts would be uh, consumed with serving you, consumed with edifying one another, with glorifying your name. And Lord, that all selfishness, all childishness would be set aside. Guide in the invitation. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Are you an example of a believer this morning? In every one of those exam- in every one of these categories, you can be, you should be. Through the power of God, you, you can be. It's not an unattainable goal. God will bless that life. He'll use you. And He'll strengthen those around you because of it. Maybe you don't know the Lord is your Savior this morning. The Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That means that, that my sin separated between me and God. Romans says the wages of that sin is death, and that death is eternity in hell. Eternity separated from God in, in torment. Eternity, there's no end to that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says that God looked down and saw your sin. And John 3.16 says that He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for that sin, to take the punishment for that sin so that you can know Him today. So that you can come to Him in faith and have life, have victory, have purpose. If you don't know Him as your Savior, you're not guaranteed that you're going to live through this week. We, are, we know one thing for certain. In this life, we will all have our end. Death is sure. If Christ doesn't come back, we're all going to die. We can also know where we're going. If you don't know where you're going, you need to accept Him as your Savior this morning. this way. Thankful